Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. Alright, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today. The Pentagon says it has no evidence Iran was behind the drone attack in Jordan, but that doesn't stop them from blaming Iran. So the Pentagon said on Monday that Iran bears responsibility for the drone attack in northeastern Jordan that killed three American troops, but admitted it has no evidence that Iran was directly involved. Pentagon spokeswoman Sabrina Singh said the responsibility fell on Iran due to its support for the Iraqi Shia militias the U.S. believes carried out the attack. And as I've said before, by that logic, that means the U.S. thinks Hamas is in its right to attack the U.S. because it provides support and weapons to Israel, and Russia has the right to attack the U.S. because it provides weapons and support for Ukraine. So one group that Singh said the U.S. believes was responsible is Kateb Hezbollah, which is one of the main Shia militias in Iraq. She said, quote, in terms of attribution for the attack, we know this is an Iran-backed militia. It has the footprints of Kateb Hezbollah, but we are not making a final assessment. Iran continues to arm and equip these groups to launch these attacks, and we will certainly hold them responsible, end quote. When asked if the U.S. knew Iran and Iranian leaders were so the, the question that she was explicitly asked, do you know if Iran was actually behind the attack, as in planned it, coordinated it, or directed it? And Singh admitted that the U.S. had nothing that shows that, that the U.S. has no evidence at all to say that they directed the attack. She said, quote, we know that Iran certainly plays a role with these groups. They arm and equip and fund these groups. I don't have more to share on terms of an intelligence assessment on its leaders in Iran, were directing this attack, end quote. She was again asked about the claim that Iran was behind the attack and said that the U.S. just knows that Iran funds the groups and that she had nothing more to add. But later in the press conference, she said Iran bears responsibility for the killing of the three American soldiers. Also on Monday, the New York Times reported that U.S. intelligence officials have no evidence Iran had advanced knowledge of the attack. The report reads, quote, American intelligence officials say that while Iran provides weapons, funding, and sometimes intelligence to its proxy groups, there is no evidence that it calls the shots, meaning it may not have known in advance about the attack in Jordan, end quote. And this isn't just this attack in Jordan that they're talking about. This is also the 160 attacks the Pentagon has said that has happened in Iraq and Syria since mid-October. Through all this time, they said they still say they don't know if Iran is directing these attacks. So Iran, uh, for their part, they're strongly denying that they were behind this attack and say that the resistance factions were targeting the U.S. forces on their own. We'll get more into that in the next story. Um, but these comments from Singh, they come as President Biden is mulling what his response will be to the killing of the three American troops. He's under pressure to bomb Iran from, from the Hawks in Congress. I think there's basically three options. They target the Shia militias again in Iraq or Syria. I think this time it would be much more intense, maybe not just one round of airstrikes, maybe a few, maybe kind of more of a sustained thing. The second option, I think, 
they would target Iranian IRGC members in Syria or, or in Iraq. Um, or the third is that they would directly attack Iran. Um, unless they decide to go in some uh, Israeli uh, with an Israeli method, which would be like a covert attack inside Iran that they don't officially take credit for. Maybe that's possible, too. If I were a betting man, I would say they're going to target Iranians in Syria or Iraq. And then who knows that could really escalate things. But that's just my guess. Um, only time will tell what the response is here. And one of the reasons why the Pentagon is so lazy about this, that they're not even trying to fake evidence. <laughs> Because you know that they're not afraid to do that, um, is just because of the the atmosphere. The most of the reporters that they talk to are like furious that they haven't bombed Iran yet, and all these most people in Congress are super hawkish on this. You know, I saw, uh, I believe it was John Kirby, the National Security Council spokesman. He was on CBS News talking to some CBS guy. I never saw him before, and the guy seemed so upset that the U.S. hadn't attacked Iran yet. I mean, it was really unbelievable. So, you know, that's why they don't think they even need an excuse. If they want to bomb Iran, they're going to do it. All right. So the next one here, Iran denies role in drone attack that killed three U.S. troops. So Iran came out with a, you know, official denial of this. And again, they, they say that these resistance factions are targeting the U.S. because of the U.S.-backed Israeli massacre in Gaza, not because... Iran is directing them. So this is the Iranian foreign ministry spokesman. He said, quote, as we have clearly stated before, the resistance groups in the region are responding to the war crimes and genocide of the child killing Zionist regime, and they do not take orders from the Islamic Republic of Iran. These groups decide and act based on their own principles and priorities, as well as the interests of their country and people, end quote. So I know I remember uh, back in 2020, at the end of the Trump administration, Israel, it seemed like, was really trying to provoke something with Iran while Trump was still in office. Uh, they killed uh, Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, who was an Iranian uh, scientist. They assassinated him inside Iran. There was Israel really stepped up its airstrikes in Syria. And at the time, there were some rocket attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq coming from these Iraqi Shia militias. And Iran at the time, according to the reports I was reading, was urging them to show restraint, telling them, you know, to, to cool it. And they didn't listen to him. The, the attacks, you know, were pretty frequent. Um, so that's something I always think of when they t discuss these militias, whether or not they will act independently or not. I think it's clear that that they that they do and they can. Um, so really, I just wanted to read, you know, the official Iranian uh denial there. And so another thing is that I've seen in some reports that say the Islamic resistance in Iraq, which is this umbrella group of Shia militias, and we're not exactly, it's not exactly clear exactly which militias are part of that group. I think they keep it vague for a reason. Um, I saw reports say that they took credit for the, the attack in Jordan, and that's not what I've seen. I've seen them take credit, credit for attacks on the Syrian border around the same time in Syria. Now, uh, we know that Jordan initially said this attack happened in Syria on the other side of the border at the Al-Tamf garrison, not at this base called Tower 22 that is located in Jordan. Um, I'll get more into that in the next one. But so far, I've the only claim that I've seen from this Islamic resistance in Iraq is that they targeted U.S. troops. And I didn't say them explicitly take credit for killing three American troops. 
All right, so the next one here. Uh, report says that the drone that hit the U.S. base in Jordan followed a U.S. drone. So U.S. officials told AP on Monday, and this was reported by several media outlets, that a one-way attack drone, and it was just one drone, they're saying, that killed three U.S. troops in northeast Jordan may have followed an American drone into the U.S. base. The official said that because of the timing, U.S. forces may have thought the enemy drone was an American one and didn't try to shoot it down. The U.S. does not have large air defense systems at this small outpost in Jordan on the Syrian border, which is known as Tower 22, but it does have counter-drone systems. U.S. officials said the drone hit a trailer where troops sleep, killing three and wounding more than 40 now. That's, that's the number of wounded is at 40. And the three slain soldiers were members of the U.S. Army Reserves. They were identified by the Pentagon. Uh, Sergeant William Jerome Rivers, 46-year-old from Georgia. Specialist Kennedy Ledon Sanders, 24-year-old, also from Georgia. And Specialist Brianna Alexandria Mofet, 23, also Georgia. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, came under very heavy criticism because she said something uh, pretty stupid. She said that these three American soldiers died fighting on behalf of the administration, of the Biden administration, rather than the country, rather than the U.S. She said that they died fighting on behalf of the administration, which um, is just not a, it's just a stupid thing for a White House spokesperson to say. Um, so this base, Tower 22, little is, is, there's not much that's known about it. It's a very secretive base. U.S. officials say that it houses 350 troops and it supports the U.S. occupation, the illegal occupation of eastern Syria, as it is about 12 miles across the border from the Al-Tamf garrison, which is one of the main U.S. bases in Syria. So Jordan initially denied that the attack targeted its territory and said that it happened at Al-Tamf. But Jordan later put out a statement acknowledging the incident occurred on an outpost close to the Syrian border, so just within the Jordanian border. And according to reports that I've read, and again, I didn't know about this specific base, I knew the U.S. had bases in this area, um, that this is a secretive base. The Jordanian government does not officially acknowledge its existence. And at this time, I think Jordan doesn't want to appear like they're too close to the Americans because of what's happening in Gaza. There's these reports that say the U.S. has been supporting Israel from bases in Jordan that Jordan has denied. And Jordan has a huge population of Palestinians, Palestinian refugees, but they are, are also very close to the U.S. and they, they have been for a very long time. I looked up the, the aid that they received from the U.S. Um, in 2023, they received $1.6 billion in aid from the U.S. That's not just military aid. The breakdown um, puts the military aid around $500 million, I believe. The, they got a direct cash transfer, a $770 million cash transfer to the government of Jordan. So, uh, again, I, I think uh, a lot of people, I mean, I got a bunch of comments yesterday saying, no, it actually happened in Syria. I mean, I, I guess it's possible that that the U.S. is is lying about this, but I think it's more in the U.S., it's more in Jordan's interest to lie about this than the U.S.'s. For, for the U.S., I think they, they wouldn't want this spreading outside of Iraq and Syria into Jordan. The U.S. is shameless about its illegal occupation of Syria. That's my thoughts on it, but I know a lot of people are still saying that it happened in Syria, but even though Jordan has put out that statement. 
Okay, so the next one here, Israel struggles to destroy Hamas tunnels. U.S. and Israeli officials believe about 80% of Hamas's tunnels under Gaza are still intact after over three months of Israel's relentless bombing campaign. This was reported by the Wall Street Journal. The report is another sign that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's goal of wanting to eradicate Hamas is unrealistic as the tunnels are a key part of the group's infrastructure. The Israeli newspaper Haaretz recently reported that sources within the Israeli Defense Forces said they would be unable to destroy most Hamas tunnels and that the underground, the underground network is significantly larger than Israel initially thought. Israel previously estimated, estimated that there were 100 miles of tunnels below Gaza, but now they estimate the tunnel network is up to 450 miles in length, which is just huge. Israel has flooded some of the tunnels with water, but the strategy was not as effective as they hoped. U.S. officials told the Wall Street Journal that in some areas, unexpected barriers slowed or stopped the flow of water altogether. There are also signs that the Israeli military has flooded some tunnels with poison gas. The bodies of three Israeli hostages were found in Hamas tunnels by the Israeli military, and the mother of one of the victims alleged they were killed by Israeli forces pumping poison gas, citing a toxicology report. And this woman is a a veterinarian, and she said in a statement on her son's death, quote, Ron was indeed murdered, not by Hamas, not by stray bullets, and not in an exchange of fire. This was deliberate murder, bombing with poison gas, end quote. So just, again, another sign that Israel, you know, is nowhere close to this goal that Netanyahu has set out of eradicating Hamas. I mean, I think it's clear that the real goal is to uh, kill as many Palestinians as they can and and try to make the place unlivable so they can uh, take it over. All right, so the next one here, the U.S. denies that it's considering leveraging military aid to Israel. So the White House on Sunday dismissed a report from NBC News that said the Biden administration was considering leveraging military aid to Israel to pressure Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to scale down the violence in Gaza. The report said the White House asked the Pentagon to review what weapons could be used as leverage and that no decision had been made. But in response to the report, the White House said the policy of unconditional support for the mass killing of Palestinians in Gaza has not changed. They didn't. Those are my words, but that's what they're saying. Uh, So a National Security Council spokesperson said, quote, Israel has a right and obligation to defend themselves against the threat of Hamas while abiding by international humanitarian law and protecting civilian lives, and we remain committed to support Israel in its fight against Hamas. We have done so since October 7th and will continue to. There has not been a change in our policy, end quote. So just laughable, the idea that that Israel is somehow protecting civilian lives. Um, So this report from NBC, again, you know, that says that the U.S. was considering leveraging some arms deals. And throughout this whole disaster, this whole slaughter that's happening in Gaza, there's been multiple times, you know, Time and time again, U.S. officials have said, no, we're not even considering leveraging military aid. We're not even, it's not even a thought in Biden's mind. I mean, there's, I guess there's not many thoughts there anymore, but um, that's kind of been the message. So this report, you know, it would be, I hope there's truth to it. 
Um, but I, da- I, I almost think it's more of just a PR effort because this came a few days after the ICJ ruling on the genocide case. So, but maybe hopefully, I really hope this dissent, these, these, uh, campaign speeches constantly being disrupted and the dissent within the administration itself, I really hope it does do something. Um, All right, so the next one here. Israeli airstrikes hit Damascus, several reported killed. So Israeli airstrikes hit targets south of the Syrian capital of Damascus on Monday, killing and injuring a number of people. This was reported by uh, Syrian media. And both Syria and Iran denied reports that said strikes killed Iranian nationals or Iranian military advisors. When I first saw this, there was these reports that said Iranian IRGC members might have been killed in this and you know that's definitely alarming because it seems like Israel is trying to provoke a war here a major war possibly with Iran and that's one way to do it just last week about a week ago Israel killed five members of the IRGC in Syria in Damascus so uh, but they're saying that that didn't happen both Syria and Iran have denied that Um, but you know, Israel has really ramped up its airstrikes in Syria. They've always they've bombed Syria for years with impunity, but since October 7th, they've really ramped them up. And they could have been trying to kill Iranians with this, you know. Netanyahu's thinking if he's trying to provoke a war, considering some American troops were just killed, he's figuring the U.S. is probably going to hit Iran. You know, why doesn't he hit Iran right now, too? Um, the reports say that the Syrian media reported that a number of people were killed and wounded in this attack. And then I saw Iranian media said two civilians were killed. Uh, That's what they said, according to preliminary reports. All right. So the next one here, famine in Gaza is inevitable after the cuts to the UN Palestinian Relief Agency. So this article is from Kyle over at the Libertarian Institute. Several human rights officials are warning that the US and other countries suspending support to the Palestinians' UN aid agency will be catastrophic for the people of Gaza. The Israeli war and blockade placed Gaza on the brink of famine and widespread death. The U.S. and several other countries cut aid to the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestine refugees in the Near East after Israel alleged that a small number of low-level staff members participated in the October 7th attack. So on Sunday, Michael Fakhri, he's a UN Special Rapporteur, on the right to food, said, quote, some states decided to defund UNRWA for the alleged actions of a small number of employees. This collectively punishes 2.2 million Palestinians. Famine was imminent. Famine is now inevitable, end quote. And I saw a chart, I think it was on Al Jazeera or something, of the donors to to UNRWA, and the U.S. made up almost half, half of the funding for it, and so they cut that out. Um, and the UK and other countries uh, have also suspended the the funding to UNRWA over these Israeli claims. And this, again, was right after the ICJ ruling on the genocide case. All right, so the next one here. Two brothers shot by, Isra- by Israel and Khan Yunus, white flag ignored. So this is a really horrific story um, from one family who lived in Khan Yunus or just outside of the city. and. They were there, and there, and Israel dropped leaflets, evacuation leaflets, where they lived, and they kind of deliberated. You know, should we listen? Should we try to go? And then the family decided to leave. And as they were getting ready, the 
a 13 year old went out first with a white flag. You know, they thought there's no way they're going to shoot at this child. And they did. Um, it says that they shot and killed the 13 year old multiple times. And then his 20 year old brother went out to try to help him. And he was also shot and killed. Um, and you know, we, I covered that report. It was a British, I forget the name of it, a British TV channel that had the footage of an, of Palestinians walking with a white flag with their hands up and getting shot at and one being killed. And that's just what we saw. And, you know, I just bet there's so many cases like this of Israeli snipers just killing, uh, unarmed Palestinians and called waving white flags. The Israeli hostages that they shot and killed were waving uh, a white flag and didn't have any clothes on. I think we're naked from the waist up. Um, so I bet there's just so many stories like this. All right. So the next one here, Biden is working to prevent possible Trump cuts to Ukraine. So this is another one from Kyle at the Libertarian Institute. It says that President Biden is working on a document that would promise military assistance to Ukraine for the next decade. The White House hopes to get congressional approval and prevent Donald Trump from changing course in Ukraine if he is elected. And this could, you know, they're trying to handcuff any future president. With the commitment to Kiev, Biden is seeking President Zelensky to adopt a defensive position and abandon aspirations to retake territory. The Washington Post reports that the White House is working with the State Department to compile a document that will pledge short and long-term military assistance to Ukraine. The administration will seek congressional buy-in, and a portion of the policy will be included in that $61 billion for Ukraine that Biden's still trying to get Congress to approve. The Republicans still haven't agreed on a border deal yet. Uh, And the types of things in this document, they say the specific promises and programs that it will, they say will help protect, reconstitute, and expand Ukraine's industrial and export base and assist the country with political reforms needed for full integration into Western institutions. Um, And a U.S. official said that the hope is that the long-term promise will also future-proof aid for Ukraine against the possibility that former President Trump wins his re-election bid. Um, So they just want to make sure that they can keep supporting Ukraine for years and years and years to come. Um, All right, so the last story here, another one from Kyle Anzalone. He's been a busy man lately. Uh, North Korea tests cruise missiles and blasts U.S. war games, so tensions are still very high on the Korean Peninsula. North Korea slammed the U.S. and South Korea for inching the peninsula toward the brink of war with a series of war games. After Pyongyang issued the statement, North Korea test-fired several cruise missiles. Um, So in a statement published by North Korea state media, Pyongyang warned Washington and Seoul of ruthless punishment if war broke out, and the statement highlighted five military drills between the U.S., South Korea, and Japan conducted this month. So Japan's been getting in on the action here. North Korea argued that war games involving strategic weapon systems were highly provocative. Uh, The statement said, quote, the current situation in which frantic nuclear war drills are being staged against the DPRK from the outset of the new year requires the DPRK to be fully prepared for a war and thoroughly deter the U.S. and its stooges invasion with overwhelming power. We showed on various occasions that our cutting-edge military hardware 
are not for demonstration and legalized the Korean-style nuclear doctrine on the use of nuclear forces long ago, end quote. Um, and North Korea also conducted a missile test on Sunday. So these things, this is just an area that so many, so few people are really aware of, you know, how, how, how bad the tensions are right now. Um, but it seems to just be escalating and escalating. All right, that's it for the news for today. Please go check out our viewpoints. One from Daniel McAdams from the Ron Paul Institute. A Biden doctrine, if it's broke, don't fix it. Um, so this is about Biden's genius uh, Yemen strategy, admitting that the strikes are not working to deter the Houthis, but let's keep doing them anyway. Uh, one from Ted Snyder, responding is not a foreign policy. Uh, one from Norman Solomon, smearing ceasefire protesters, Pelosi combines devotion to Israel with Cold War mania. One from Tom uh, Manion, New Hampshire, we won't send our soldiers to unauthorized wars. And that's talking about the Defend the Guard Act that was recently passed, passed in the New Hampshire House. Um, the Senate is next, but that is a really great way. If you want to get involved in anti-war activism, uh, get involved with Defend the Guard. They, they, it's a law they're trying to pass at the state level that would prohibit these states uh, sorry, it would prohibit the federal government from deploying the state's National Guard to a war zone uh, if Congress has not formally declared war, which they have not done in a very long time. Um, and the spotlight is from Lori Calhoun, the meaning of finish them off. So please go check all of that out. Uh, you could always support this show by sharing it, telling your friends about antiwar.com, comment, like, subscribe on YouTube. Rumble, Odyssey, wherever you prefer to watch. If you listen to the audio, leave a rating or a review. Stuff like that really helps out. Um, follow us on Twitter as well. But I will be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.